get to our message. And uh, we are week two into our called series. Last week is Easter, and we started with uh, this series of all about what are we called to, right? The sevenfold calling of every believer. And last week we talked about how we were called to something really important. And that really important thing that we were called to is that we were called to live, right? Because you can't, you can't really do anything if you're dead. So I think that was a great place that God started us with. He says that you are, you're not just called to be alive, though, in Christ. He says, I want you to live. There's a new life that God has for us, right? When we think about a child when it's born, right, this life begins, and that's not where it ends, Right? That's, that's the very beginning, and it's a beautiful and it's a wonderful thing. But there's more that a child is called to than the birth, right? And when a child is born, there's, God has so many more things. And it's just like us in Christ, when we are born in Christ, when we are born again. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing, but God has called us to more than just be alive, to take up space. He's called us to something. And we get to talk about the next thing that he's called us to today, is that in being called, we're not just called to live, we're called to be disciples, right? That's, that's one of the sevenfold callings of every Christian, not some Christians. It's not like there's, there's believers and then there's disciples. If you are in Christ, we're going to talk about today that you were called to be disciples. And so today's memory verse, one that's very familiar to most, it's very long, so we're going to say it a few times, but don't worry, we go through this like five times a year on purpose because it's kind of a big deal, right? It's called the Great Commissions. Jesus gave this to us, and we'll be going through it. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through 20. And we're going to talk about, actually, that passage today, because Jesus is calling us to something uh, huge. And so... If you have your Bible, why don't you turn it to Matthew 28? And, and I bet you know what verse we're going to go to, starting verse 18, maybe. Maybe. And that's going to be on page 698 if you have one of our Bibles. If you need a Bible, we've got a whole bunch of them. And in fact, we've got some in that back wall over there. And if, if you don't have a Bible, just take one. And uh, our gift to you, uh, which is really good. Now, as you turn to Matthew 28, um, some background things that I think context is important. One of the things you're going to notice that Matthew 28 is interesting because there are, uh, there's 28 chapters in the book of Matthew, which means that this passage happens to be kind of near the end. In fact, uh, not only are there 28 chapters in Matthew, but we'll find that there's 20 verses in that 28th chapter, which means that this is kind of the last word. Now, a gospel, if you're not familiar with those, are the story of Jesus' life, told by those who were there. And Matthew was a disciple. And it talked about Jesus' ministry and what he came to do, right? So think about a book. When you get to the end, right, that's kind of like the last bit. It's like the microphone drop. Boom. That's, it's done. This is the gospel. Everything that Christ has done leads to this. Right? That's a pretty big deal, right? So you say, everything he's done? Yeah, all the miracles? Yes. Right? All of the suffering? Yes. All of the teachings? Yes. Good Friday? 
leads to this? Yes. The resurrection, Easter, leads to this? Yes. This is the much more. This is why we're talking about this after Easter. You can't get to this unless you get to the life of Christ, right? But once you get to the life of Christ, you can't ignore this. This is what it all leads up to. Jesus, after he dies, after he raises again, right? He's got his disciples. He was with them for three whole years, teaching them how to be disciples, training them and what it meant. And then the biggest test, he dies. And their faith is rocked. And then he comes back and surprises them. And not just once. He didn't just like appear and say, peekaboo, right? He didn't like hide in the closet or something like that. And they're like, whoa, Jesus, we didn't expect to see you. And he's like, I'm outie, right? Nothing. He came for 40 days in a lot of different ways with a whole bunch of different groups of people throughout the whole city to let us know that that's where he was at. And he taught them things while he was back with them. And he let them know that there was a purpose to all of this. And they were part of that purpose. And then before he goes back to the Father, right? he, he gets them all together. And then it says... Then Jesus came to them and said, <laughs> the very end, you know, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And you know, he, he kind of backed it up by that point because he had died and come back to life, right? I mean, Rome can't kill him. If Rome can't kill you, you've done pretty good, right, on earth, right? And the same thing is he died, right, took all of our sins to the cross. Father abandoned him, comes back. All authority in heaven and on earth. And he'd shown them that it was true. And so they knew it was right. And they're like, all right, you got the right to tell us what to say. And he says, therefore, that's what I want you to do. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the Great Commission. It's the reason why God didn't zap you to heaven the moment you came to faith, is that he's got work for you to do. This is what we're to be about. These are our marching orders. This is what Jesus said we are to be about. This is why at our church here we say we are disciples of Jesus who build disciples of Jesus. This is what we're supposed to do. And you know, in that, that the passage there, there is one imperative command. It's a little more difficult to read it in the English because there we've got lots of different things it tells us to do. But in the Greek, there is one thing that Jesus said, I want you to do. And that is to make disciples. Everything else in that passage describes to us how do we do that because the disciples kind of need a little, you know, something to put it back together. Okay, how do we do this again? So Jesus tells us. And there's really four elements of discipleship that he talks about, four things that he tells us. You're going to go to make disciples? Remember, this is what you've got to do. And the first thing he tells us, you've got to go. Right, it's not really a suggestion. It's, he's saying, listen, if you're going to make disciples, you have to actually get out there. And Jesus did that, right? He, he demonstrated this. He was in heaven, and then he came here. He went to places where people weren't worshiping him. Heaven, everything was great, really comfortable. Has a throne, angels, all those things around him, worshiping him, all that kind of stuff. Things are good up there. But he had to go to the place that was less comfortable. He had to go to the place that he wasn't surrounded with like-mindedness. He had to go to a place where it was not so inviting. But he went. First great missionary. And that means that if to follow Jesus, we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we're going to follow what he does, it means that every Christian is a missionary. Every one of us. 
Not only about you, when I first became a Christian, I thought missionaries were special people that we paid to go away. Right? You give them money to go over to those places where it's really scary to do things that are way more spiritual than I'm qualified to do, right? But that, and that's true to a level, right? Missionaries, we also send them to the ends of the earth. We, we support one another. But we don't just support to the ends of the earth. Jesus told us that in our strategy, we also start in our own hometown. We are missionaries. And he told us to go. He said, therefore, go and make disciples. And it's interesting. God said, go, don't stay. The church can't cloister together and feel that we are doing the work of God. It's important for us to come together on, on once a week on Sundays to worship God, corporate worship. God wants that. He commands. He says this is a good thing. But this can't be the full expression of our faith. He says, now, we get together, we worship, and we remind one another, this is who God is. We encourage one another in this, and then we go. That's why above the door, when you leave, it says, you are entering the mission field because you are the missionaries. And so am I. Every single one of us is on a mission from God. I feel like the Blues Brothers. Except for we really are on a mission from God. And we will not fail. You have been sent You think about where you've been sent. You've been sent to the very dark places, the place where no other Christian might feel comfortable. You've been sent to your neighborhood. You have been sent to your workplace. You have been sent to your family. Every year when we send our local people here to missions trips, we bring them up on stage and we pray for them, right? God is going to guide them, protect them, right? He's going to anoint them with, with, his, with his spirit and with his, his presence and with his power and with wisdom. That he will prepare the people that he's, they're going to go uh, serve that for their hearts to receive the gospel. Right? We do that. Do you know that God has, he has anointed you to serve where you're at? You've been commissioned to serve. And most will say, well, where's my mission field? Look where you are. You are the Christian in that neighborhood. You are the Christian in your office or your place of employment. You are the Christian in your family. You have already been sent by a God who is sovereign. Before the beginning of time said, I have prepared good works in advance for you to complete. You're not where you are by accident. But I think the mistake that we often make in our discipleship, we forget that there's purpose for where we are. God is counting on us. He is working in us and through us. But you have to go. So go with purpose. And what is that purpose? Make disciples. I mean, that starts with giving good news, right? That's the fun, that's really good stuff. He talks about the rest of it we need to do, but we have to go with purpose. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, here it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We employ you on God's behalf. Be reconciled to God. That's you and me. God has given you a high place in his kingdom, hasn't he? You are an ambassador. You are under his employ. Think about an ambassador. Doesn't speak for themselves. Speaks for the one they've been sent. If the U.S. ambassador had a really bad day over in Russia and decides he's just going to go punch Vladimir Putin in the nose, right? He gets upset that country is going to assume that the United States punched their president in the nose, right? How we act reflects directly onto our king. 
Right? Every one of us is giving a testimony every single day. We are witnessing to the world who Jesus is. How we act matters, right? Because you don't represent yourself anymore. We represent someone much higher. So we can give the true gospel or we can mess it up. But we've been authorized to share the real gospel. So we have to think about as ambassadors, not only are we going, but how are we going? Have you ever been around Christians who aren't awesome ambassadors for Jesus? It can hurt the faith, doesn't it? It gives people the wrong idea who Jesus really is, what he's about. And so as we go, we must remember that we are going. Oftentimes we think, well, I'm just going home. I'm just going to work. I'm, you know, I'm just going to go hang out with my family. And we don't remember that we are no longer ourselves, but we are Christ's ambassadors. And when I go there, I have been sent by God to represent him. And how I act is how they think he is. We have great responsibility and great ability, don't we? Look what God has given us. We are his ambassadors. Ambassadors speak with a voice far louder than their own. And we can implore people to be reconciled to God. Who gives us that right? God. You, you don't have to wait for the church to, to, to like lay our hands on you and say, you are now Christ's ambassador. If you are in Christ, you are his ambassador. You have to wait for some certificate to come in the mail. You have to go to some four-year college or whatever to be, to be set apart for this work. You have been called. You've been commissioned. You've been authorized by God to go and to represent Him. So represent Him. And I'll tell you that when we do this, it's really important because I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. Before we go, when we do this, we do the same thing for you and you do the same thing for you that we do for the missionaries that we bring up on stage and lay our hands on. Pray for yourself. Pray for one another. Not just that God's going to, to allow you to go out there and protect you, but now more so that God's going to work in you. That he's going to give you wisdom and words and opportunity right, to be faithful and to plant the gospel. Pray for the people that you're going to. Isn't that important? Jesus told a really great parable about, he said, there was a farmer who walked along, he was going to plant his field, and I guess he was kind of busy. So he walks along his field and he starts spreading the seeds, and the seeds fell on all kinds of different ground. So some of it fell on a path, and some fell on into weedy soil, and some in rocky soil, and some in good soil. And then as the seeds started to grow, uh, first there was one on the path, and, it, and the path was hard, and the seeds never even got to penetrate the, the dirt, because the birds came down and ate it up, and of course nothing grew there. But then the ones that fell on the, 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 the field, you know, you had some that started to grow, and it, and it started to grow real quickly, but then it hit rocks, and it choked out the, the roots, and then it died. And other ones were, fell into the kind of the weedy soil and, and they started to grow as well really quickly. But then it got choked out by the rest of the weeds that were there and, and died. And then there was a seed that fell on the good soil and it didn't just grow deep roots. It grew tall and healthy and produced a hundred times, 60 to a hundred times the amount of fruit. <laughs> right, that's, that's pretty awesome. And the disciples, when they heard that, looked at me like, you're looking at me like, why are you talking about planting Right? I said, this is crazy. Do you want us to go plant agricultural? What are we learning? And Jesus said, "Uh, okay, the seed is the gospel. Son of man is the farmer. 
And the field are the hearts of people. And some people's hearts are just going to be hard, and the devil's going to take away the gospel before it even gets a chance to, to grow. Some people, you know, they're like the rocky soil. It, it'll receive, sound good, the gospel sound good at first, but then they'll hit hardship in life. And once they hit hardship, they don't have any depth in their faith, and their faith just dies off. And others are going to be like really busy people. Those are the ones that are in the weeds, right? Their hearts aren't prepared to really let Christ be the main thing. And so what happens is that their faith grows up, but then everything else in life chokes out their faith and becomes really nothing. But those that the seed fell in the good soil... It will produce. I think Jesus taught us something really important about as we go into this world, we need to be praying that God prepares the hearts of those that we're going to minister to, right? Ask for God to be preparing the, the soil. He goes before you, doesn't he? So be in prayer. We have opportunity to share our hope. So let's make sure that it's heard. Pray not just for yourself and for wisdom and opportunity and courage and words, but also for the people that you're going to go to. That God prepares them to receive it. God's pretty powerful. And it's not just that we go anywhere. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And this is where I think we get off track sometimes. We think of all nations. That means that we're supposed to go to Papua New Guinea. Right? But yeah, we're supposed to go to Papua New Guinea and China and all those other places. But we're also supposed to go to Estes Park because we're part of all the nations. In fact, the word the nations is ethnos, right? Does that sound familiar to another word, maybe in our English language? It's all different kinds of people. And that's really intriguing because the, the disciples, they were Jewish, right? Every one of them. And Jesus says, I want you to go to all the different kinds of people. And what makes that even more intriguing is the fact that that for thousands of years, the Jews were told, don't go to those weird Gentiles. Stay separate. Don't dress like them. Don't eat like them. Don't worship like them. Be different. And now, the Messiah says, go to all of them. To the ones who reject me, to the ones who live in darkness, the ones who live in ignorance, go to them, go! Which lets us know that we are not supposed to be sitting here judging who we think is worthy of the gospel and who isn't. Jesus said that that we are going to destroy the gates of hell. They're not going to be able to withstand us. The gospel is an offensive, designed machine, right? Right? We're supposed to go to the dark places and and be able to reconcile people for light. We're supposed to be God's ambassadors. Ambassadors don't stay in their own country. We're supposed to go to all kinds of different people. The people that you think would be accepting the gospel easy and the people that you would think they're the last people who would accept the gospel. God sends us. And in order to punctuate that message, he takes this guy named Saul who is like super Jew, right? And he takes him And he says, all right, Mr. Super Jew, I'm going to knock you off your donkey, and I'm going to teach you a thing or two, and I'm going to send you out, and you're going to be the very guy who brings the gospel to all those Gentiles. If Paul was authorized and equipped and effective at reaching Gentiles, how much more us who are Gentiles? We get to go to everybody. Which means that there's no government in the world that tells you you can't go and share the gospel. Right? 
There's no court in the land who can tell you that you don't have the right to speak the truth of God to anyone at any time you want to because the King of Kings who has all authority on heaven and on earth has given you the authority to speak. It means that you can go anywhere. There is no boss in the world who tells you that you can't, you don't have the right to be able to share faith because God of the universe says you have been authorized to share faith. We go to all people. There are no boundaries between us. There's nothing to limit us. We have the authority to go. So go. So the question is not, are you, are you on the mission field? The question is, whom have you been sent to as a missionary? God has already authorized you. He's already sent you. Whom are you a missionary to? Who are the people that are in your field that don't know Jesus? Think about the people in your neighborhood. Think about the people in your family. Think about the people you work with. Think about the people that you play with. Who do you know who doesn't know Christ? Because I guarantee you are their missionary. And when we go, what are we supposed to do? Well, we're on a mission, so he tells us the next thing we're supposed to do is to baptize. That's important. That means that every Christian's evangelist, why baptize? And we talked about it last week. It, we're talking about, the, in the baptism, it's that last thing, we're talking about somebody coming to faith in Jesus, right? You can't live the new life if you're not alive, right? You can't grow up in a family if you haven't been born yet. And he says that every single one of us has been authorized by God to take people from a place of spiritual death and bring them to a place of spiritual life, to introduce them to Jesus, every one of us. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to have reverend or anything in front of your name. You don't have to have white tents, revivals, or anything like that to be evangelist. You are an evangelist. You have been given the authorization from God to tell people good news. You. And God expects that then of us. And so baptism, he said, go and to baptize them. He's summering all this up. He says, bring people to faith. Ephesians 2.8 talks about this. It says... For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Right? He tells us, reminds us, this is how we came from death to life, right? We have been saved. Was it ourselves that saved us? Thankfully, no. We have been saved by God's grace. God saved us. How do we receive it? Through faith. How wonderful is that? And it's not for yourselves, it's a gift of God. God wants us to have that. He's he give, given us to us. If you have questions about that, I encourage you to listen to last week's message as well or just come talk with me. But it's through faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's how we go from death to life. But we say, okay, faith is that nebulous thing. How do we know we have faith? And the scripture says, well, faith that's not expressed really isn't faith. For example, if you really believe your pants are on fire, you believe in your whole heart that your pants are on fire, it's good to, you're going to do something about it, aren't you? I mean, you're going to put the fire out, you're going to stop, drop, and roll, or you're going to take your pants off or something, right? But if you don't believe your pants are on fire, even if people are like, hey, your pants are on fire, and you're like, I don't believe you, you're going to walk around. You're not going to act like you think your pants are on fire. Your pants are on fire, I know, but I don't really believe it, right? If we believe something is true, it changes how we act. That's why faith without works is not faith. That's why it says it's dead, useless, it's not really there. So God said, listen, if you have faith in me, I want you to act a certain way. There are certain things I want you to do in order to prove, to show, to express the reality of this faith that you claim to have. Which I think is nice, because then we know that we're supposed to do something about it. 
And he's done that not just in, for the New Testament, but for all, all the way through. God has said, listen, if you people are saved by grace through faith. So think about Noah. God said to Noah, hey, um, I'm going to destroy the entire world with water, so you build a boat. I want to bring you some animals, by the way. Now, if Noah didn't believe God, he'd have been like, okay, thanks, God, right? Do you think he would have built the boat? Or even if he kind of built the boat, you think he would have really put his, his, you know, everything into it? No. For, for, I mean, if you're really old, like 600 years, building a boat's a big deal. You don't just decide, hey, I'm going to go out and build a boat. He really believed that God was going to bring the floodwaters, didn't he? And that's why he built the boat. When everybody else doubted him, he built the boat. Now, the boat really didn't save Noah. God saved Noah. Can we agree to that? The boat was, the, was a vessel that God said, if you're going to believe, you're going to build this thing, and through that I'm going to save you. But God saved Noah. I say, How about Abraham? God goes to Abraham and says to this old guy who's already got wealth and he's got land and all that, but he doesn't have kids, and God shows up to him in, in this place where they worship all kinds of other gods, but the real God shows up to him and says, listen, uh, Abram, uh, I know you have kids, I know you're already old and all that kind of stuff, but I'm going to make you like really, 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 really uh, wealthy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you really, really, really well known. I'm going to give you a lot of land, and, and oh yeah, I'm going to give you lots and lots of kids. And Abraham who was in his place. Now, if he, if he heard God and he said, okay, God, I have faith, but he stayed there in the Ur of Chaldeans, right? If he stayed there, did he have faith? No. But he said, God said, I will do this, so I need you to move because that's where I'm going to build you over here. And Abram said, okay, God, even though I'm old, it makes no sense to anybody else, I'm going to go. And so his faith was moving and God said that his faith was credited to him as righteousness. Later on in his life, when he has the, the, the one son that he finally gets, he gets Isaac, and God says, okay, I want you to go sacrifice him on an altar. And it makes no sense to anybody else. But he says, all right, God, uh, I trust that you will save him so I don't need to go sacrifice him. He wouldn't have had faith. But he goes and he brings him up there to the very point that he was ready to, to kill his own son, trusting that God was somehow going to still keep his word. And God kept his word, stopped the knife, gave him the ox or the goat. I mean, think about how cool that is. Faith in action. God said, I want you to do something. And if you trust that God is going to do something, then, then he says, this is what I want you to do. You do it. That's faith. And it's the same thing for our faith in Christ. He says, listen, if you want to be a Christian, right? If you want to be, go from death to life, there are certain things that God says, I want you to express that faith in certain ways. And so there's beliefs. It's just saying, trust me. Now, God gives us reasonable faith. He says, I'm going to give you all kinds of evidence, but there's never going to be an end to the doubt because until we actually see Jesus coming back in glory, right? until we can touch him, there's impossible to know to absolute certainty because none of us know the future, right? There's at some level where we're going to have to come to Jesus and God and say, you've given us more than enough to trust you, so I'm going to trust you. So I know I'm going to have doubts, but I'm still going to trust you. I have to believe. That's faith expressed in belief. And there's also repentance. If I really believe that I died to myself, that my sins have been paid for, that Jesus really is God, then I'm going to obey him, right? That's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to change my actions because of what God has done. That's repentance. I'm going to stop obeying me. I'm going to start obeying him perfectly. I wish. That's where grace comes in, I suppose. But I find we have this is that he says, listen, if I really believe that he is God, I'm going to obey him. That's faith and repentance. 
And he says, you know what I also want you to do? I want you to have faith in, in confession. I want you to identify with me. And so if I really believe that Jesus is the risen Lord Savior, he's not dead, right? He really is coming back. I want to be identified with him because he wins, right? Now, if I don't really believe that Jesus is coming back, I really don't believe he raised from the dead. I think this is all just kind of a religious thing that makes me feel good. I'm probably going to be kind of step away from Jesus when it gets a little bit you know, awkward in this world. But if I really believe that he is God, he is King of kings and Lord of lords, I'm going to do everything I can to be identified with him, right? That is confession. The rub comes in and you say, well, how do I know that I've trusted enough, that I believed enough? How do I know that I've repented enough? How do I know that I identify with him enough? Because all of us aren't perfect. And I think that's why God gave us baptism. The baptism says, listen, if you trust me, you're going to be baptized. Because that's something that nobody would do in their right mind, on their own, Right? But baptism is not subjective. It's a very objective thing. You, nobody walks along the street and says, I wonder if I was baptized. You're like, pum, pum. yeah, I was baptized, right? It happened. And that's why he gave us in baptism. We're saying, God, I'm believing you. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting with all of my doubt. I don't understand everything, but I'm going to trust you enough to say, this is what you want from me. I'm going to do it. You're believing repentance. God, I wouldn't do this on my own, but I'm just going to obey you. So it's my faith in, in repentance. It's, it's my faith in confession because in baptism we identify with Him. And it's not just me that says these things. In fact, Scripture even talks about tying these things together. In uh, 1 Peter it says, In this water, which he's talking about Noah's flood, by the way, symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Christ Jesus. I think that's powerful. It says that our baptism is not just an act. There's no such thing as like magic water or something. But it says, so it's like, it says this water reminds us of Noah's flood. What does Noah's flood do? It purified the world, didn't it? It killed all the sin. And this water, when we go to the baptism, we're saying, listen, all my sin drowned, dead. New life, new opportunity, second chance in Christ. And how does the baptism now save me? It's not the removal of dirt from the body. It's not like I go in there and I had like cinder on the outside of me and so there's this magic water that removes that and I come back and now I'm clean. It's not what he's talking about. It says it doesn't save by that, but it's the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It's saying, God, kill the sin. Make me alive. I'm trusting you. It's belief confessed in baptism. And even that's not what really saves us. It's the power to save us even in the confession or or the belief. It says it saves us by the resurrection of Christ Jesus. The reason we can be saved through baptism is that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. That's the power. God saves us. But it's an expression of belief. And God wants it. Something else that God wants in, in baptism, he says I want confession, is we find in, in Second, uh, Colossians 2, it says this, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Do you ever realize that? That when you were baptized, you were saying, yeah, Jesus died for my sins, so I am dying to my sins. And Jesus came up from the grave, and now I'm living a new life. We're identifying with him. We're like, me, Jesus. And it's a very public thing. That's why baptism is public. You get all drippy and wet, and people recognize that. And they say, you know what? Me too. I was born into this family. So we're buried with him through baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from the body and from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It's an expression of, 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 of confession. We are identifying with Jesus. What an amazing thing that we get to have. And not only is it that, but we go and we see that when we bring someone to faith and when we baptize them, 
It says that we are also repenting. It says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the faith in the working of God, who raises him from the dead. We get to stand with Jesus. We get to say, God, yes, you, me, together. What your ways is how I'm going to go, because being a disciple of Jesus means that we follow Jesus, doesn't it? He does it, we do it. That's what discipleship's all about. It's an expression of this repentance and an expression of faith and it's an expression of, of belief. But it happens in an objective way so that we have this point in our life when the devil comes to us. I'll tell you this, when your faith is weak, and it will be at times, and when your repentance is weak, because it will be at times, right? And your confession is weak, because it will be at times. We have something that can never be weaker or stronger. We have an objective standard to say at that point, I, I expressed my faith how God wanted me to. I moved to the new land. I built the ark. And at that point, the devil who likes to con, you know, condemn us, the moments that we're weakest, we will find ourselves wandering furthest from God, we have that as an anchor. And we say, no, my God is a God that has already paid the price of my sins. My God is the God who has already saved me. That's the God I need to go back to. So when I'm weakest in faith and weakest in belief and, and weakest in my confession, is the time I can go back to him. It's a powerful thing. We were with Christ and we will remain with Christ. And so baptism is a powerful, wonderful thing that God calls us to. And, but baptism is it, it's not magic. Like I said, it's not magic water. It's not like you, you could take somebody and say, Jesus, when we read this passage, and some Christians of the past have done this wrong, and they said, listen, we're supposed to go and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It didn't say anything about bringing them to belief, right? Because they take it out of context. So what they do is they'll say, well, let's just go dunk people. Like there's magic in the water. And then once they dunk them, they'll be alive. And so what we'll do is, I don't care what you believe, we're just going to baptize you in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? We're like, do you believe in Jesus? No. And then we sneak up behind him with a big bucket. and Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? Now you're alive. Too bad for you, right? That's what we do. It's not magic. It's an expression of faith, which is why at our church we wait until somebody has an expression of faith so that they are expressing their faith in Christ and belief and repentance and, and confession. And baptism itself, yeah, the word means immersion. The Jewish mind, when this was written, didn't tell us, okay, this is baptized, this is how you're supposed to do it. The reason is why, because the Jewish people already were baptizing people, so they already knew. It's like, when I tell you to go and, and make a, if, if you're going to make me a, a, a Big Mac, like if God told you in the Bible, go and make a Big Mac, he wouldn't have to tell you as an American what to do. You'd be like, oh, I'll take two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, lettuce, right? Put it together, right? You would know. The Jewish people had in their mind what baptism was. And what was it? When people came from, they were not Jewish, they wanted to be Jewish, they had a big old baptism and thing, and it meant it was basically a, a ritual washing. And they would go in and they would submerge person, come back up, and then boom, they were ritually clean. It was what was in their mind. Which is why in, in our church, we baptize by immersing people, ritual washing. Just, I think that it's just comforting to me to know that if the apostles came and showed up to one of our baptisms, they say, is that a baptism? They say, yeah, it is. Well, that's cool. So that's why we do that. Want to, but I'll tell you this. The command for us is to go and to bring people from death to life. So tell them the good news and then help them take those steps. You don't need to wait for me. The coolest thing happened in our church a couple of, of years ago. I saw it on, on uh, Facebook. That's the, what you call it, Facebook. And, uh, and one of our life groups had somebody there who had come to Christ and one of our members of the church went and baptized them in a hot tub, and I wasn't even involved because they recognized that they're the evangelists. 
You've been authorized by God. doesn't mean I don't like to baptize people. I want you to know that you've been authorized by God. Bring people to faith. Baptism is also commanded by Christ. We're supposed to do it. Jesus says in the other great commission in Mark, it says this, Go to the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So we're supposed to do it. Baptism is designed to bring us together as Christians, as was communion, by the way. And as the devil works in the church, what are the two things that divide churches more than anything? Communion and baptism, right? Let's not let that happen. It's designed to bring us together. And Jesus said, if you're with me, believe, confess, repent, be baptized, now grow in faith. And so that's that next part. We're supposed to go. So my question is this morning, Jesus said to go and baptize people, bring them from death to life. Who are you bringing from death to life? Who are you evangelizing? Because it's not going to happen by accident, Right? But there are people in your life, in your world, who don't know Jesus yet. You've been sent as their missionary. Who are they? Because they have names. And you know who they are. So we need to be intentional. Share the gospel with them. It's good news. Help them take the steps from death to life. You've been authorized by God to do that. Why? Because you've already done that. Right? No one needs to tell you how to come to faith because you've already come to faith. So you have... The ability to bring somebody else, right? We can always bring somebody as far as we've gone. Who are you evangelizing? It's important. Don't leave this morning without knowing who you've been evangelizing. If you don't know, start praying to God. Who is it that you've sent me to? And then begin praying for them, looking for opportunities to share the good news with them. And I tell you, if you were like me, I had a, a PTSD kind of thing happening with, uh, uh, with evangelism because when I first was a Christian, I went with some other Christians who thought that evangelism just meant cold calling people and then confronting them on city street corners. And that really terrified me. And, and if, if you're good at that stuff, God bless you. You know, the Mormons are bringing people to their faith for a reason, right? They're not afraid to go and do that. But I'll tell you, that kind of evangelism, I'm not good at. And I thought that's all what it was. But it's not only that. Because I've been authorized by God to where I'm supposed to be. He's equipped me perfectly to be the evangelist where I am today. And so what I had to start doing is I started praying to God. I said, God, give me your heart for the people that live around me. Give me your heart for the people in Estes Park. Let my heart break like yours for those that are still lost. Because quite frankly, those people bother me. But you love them. And that's a wonderful prayer. I won't say it's a dangerous prayer because it actually leads us from the very danger of missing our calling. It's a powerful prayer. And I guarantee if you start asking God to give you, that, for that he would give you his heart for the people you're supposed to be evangelizing, your heart will break for them. You will be troubled in your spirit for their safety. And it will motivate you like nothing else to be able to go and to share good news with them. And I tell you, this is where the church has, has fallen flat, though. We've gone and we've, we've done this and we've brought people to faith and we've baptized them and then we quit. But we've got two more things we've got to do. See, discipleship isn't just going and converting people. We also have to then, we have to teach them. Every Christian is a disciple maker. Every single one of you is a disciple maker. Because every one of you is a disciple, right? And Jesus told us, as disciples, what are we supposed to do? Make disciples. That's what we're supposed to do. Every Christian. So he says to them, go, teach them, right? Go and baptize them in the name of the Father, Holy Spirit. And then he doesn't say just abandon them because there's more people than to be born. He says, now teach them to obey. What? Everything I have commanded you. That's a lot. We have to begin with this. You can only teach people as far as you've learned to obey, right? You can tell people to obey God in the areas where you are not obedient. But you can only teach people to obey Christ in the areas where now you are also walking in obedience. Does that make sense? 
There's a big difference between somebody saying, you shouldn't gossip while they're being a horrible gossip, because they have no idea how to break that, that gossip in their life. But if you were a gossip, and you saw God, and you said, you know what, I've gone through that process, and I've had God help me learn to obey Him in this, then you can go to somebody who's gossiping and you say, listen, I know how to do this. I've done it once, right? I've gone through this. Follow me as I follow Christ. You bring people up in Christ as far as you've gone, which is why each of us got to keep walking further and further in, in obedience to Jesus, right? But we're supposed to teach them to obey. Everything is commanded. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not obeying Him and everything is commanded. I try, but I still haven't gained that yet. But I've grown a whole lot. And so the areas where God has given me the ability to obey Him and to follow Him, I'm happy to show somebody else how to do that because there is freedom in Jesus. And I'll tell you what, the areas where I haven't learned that yet, guess what I'm looking for? People in the church who have already learned how to do that so I can follow them as they follow Christ. Teach them to obey. Disciples teach other disciples how to obey Jesus because you're not making a disciple of you, you're making a disciple of Jesus, right? So we teach Now, as we do that, we have to trust, because this is important. Jesus said, as surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Why would he tell us that? Because it's not about you. It's not about your power. None of us have the ability to overcome this world. The devil is too smart. He's too powerful. We are too sinful as people, right? Our rebellion runs too deep. No human can overcome the brokenness in humanity, but God, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. The reason that we're bold in our faith, the reason that we say we're going to saturate this valley with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I absolutely don't just believe it's possible, I think it's ridiculous if we don't do it, is because it's not our power. It is the power of God to do it, right? We cannot go and build this church on our own steam. We will run out of steam. God is infinite. We cannot build this church on our own love. We will run out of love. But God's love is infinite. We can't go and build this church on our own wisdom because our wisdom's at some point going to run out. But God's wisdom is infinite. See, God is the one who can overcome the evil one every single day. He is the light of the world. We just get to reflect that, right? How cool is that? And He will overcome darkness every single time. He is not afraid of the enemy and He is not afraid of us. He is powerful. And He says this, I am with you Always, we have God in us. That's the amazing thing, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which people before Jesus didn't get. And our entire lives in Christ, we have something amazing gift. God is not just around us. He is in us, with us. Wherever you go, God is. And where God is, His full power is present. Which not only gives us the ability to transform our life, because God who made the world in seven days because He wanted to take His time, He's remaking us. He's working in here. And he's working through these. And he's working through us. And he's building his kingdom here. And it will last forever. Which is why we're not afraid. It's why we're bold. It's why we go. But I tell you, don't go out there saying, God, you stay on the couch. I've got this. Go with God. Understand that the people that you think are too hard that will never turn to Jesus, they're not too big for God. They're too big for you. They're not too big for God. The culture, the media, all the things that you think are so much against God, guess what? He laughs at them. Right? They're not affecting him. He's bigger than all things. So go. Go without fear. We've got to trust that God's going to do his part. See, God is amazing. Abraham didn't, is not the one 
who fulfilled the promise in Abraham. He tried to do that through Isaac, and God said, nice try. That's not how I'm doing things. Have faith. I'm going to do something miraculous in you that you couldn't do yourself. And he gave him Isaac. Amazing. I'll tell you that God is the one who works in us. We have to be faithful. We have to move. We have to be faithful. We have to live lives of that faith. But God is the one who will do things that none of us can do. So let's go and do it. See, God is in us. And that lets us know that we can't lose. I know there are some people who think, well, you know, we can't, like the church is, is so difficult and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, if we could just barely survive or whatever, that's good. And I say, that's too small. Why can't God do revival here? Why can't God change you? He changed Saul. Didn't he? I mean, he transformed that man's life into something amazing. Why not you? It's the same Holy Spirit. It's the same gospel. Why can't God do revival in Estes Park? It's the very same gospel, the very same spirit that worked amongst us here today that it was at work in the early church. It was the same gospel who took that city, who crucified Jesus, and 40 days later turned it on its head. To even the priests and the guards and the people who were killing Jesus were coming to him. Do you think God can change things in lives? Same Jesus, same Holy Spirit, same gospel. The question is, are we going to be faithful? Are we going to do it? Are we going to choose to step up to what we have been called to, to live up to that which we've already attained? Are you ready to be a disciple of Jesus that builds a disciple of Jesus? Because that's what we've been called to. Now, we look at our... Today, what have we discovered? Well, we're supposed to be disciples of Jesus to build disciples of Jesus, and that means that every Christian is a missionary. You are a missionary. I don't know if anybody's ever told you that before, but God has commissioned you, so go. Go boldly. Next thing we learned is that every Christian is called to be evangelist. You have the right and been authorized by God to tell the good people the good news of what Christ has done, to bring them from death to life. You also recognize this. Every Christian is a disciple maker. Every single one of us has been tasked to help somebody else grow up in faith. And every one of us is supposed to grow in faith. And also we recognize this, that every Christian is endowed with the Holy Spirit. He's with us always to the very end of the age. We can't lose! We've been called to something great, something of purpose, something of power. Next week, we're going to talk about what do we do with that. But this week, say, what do we, how do we practice this today? Because faith has to have action. So take out your connection card. On the back side of that connection card, I've got some suggestions for you, some ways to put that faith into action. Next steps, because maybe you're wondering, what do I do? Well, the first thing maybe you need to do is you say this week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to memorize Matthew 20, 18 through 20. You know, it really helps us to be focused on what God wants us to do when we know what God wants us to do. Is that true? You ever asked, I wonder what God's will is for me in my life. Matthew 20, 18 through 20 will give you a first, good first step, won't he? Because it's for you. So memorize it. It's called the Great Commission for a reason. And if you don't have that tattooed on your heart and your spirit yet, well, this is a great week to start. Maybe the next thing you want to do is you need to read the book of Acts. Why? Because that's what comes next, right? After Jesus gave the Great Commission, you want to see what it looks like when when disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus? Read the book of Acts. It worked for the Jews. It worked for the Gentiles. It works for everybody. If you want to see how it works, read the book of Acts. This is how we're supposed to be living in Christ. Or maybe for you, you need to take that step of faithfulness. You need to be baptized. Maybe you've, you've been living separate from God. And, and you haven't had faith in Jesus and you need to express that faith and belief. Maybe you need to express it in confession or repentance. Maybe you just need to be baptized. 
and say, God, you know what? I am all in. And if that's for you and you hadn't had that opportunity yet, let me know. We can help you. Taking next steps of faithfulness is an amazing thing. We want to obey Jesus in all things. Or maybe what you need to do is say, you know what? I have had that conversion experience. I have come and placed my faith in Jesus. Now I need to know how to train others. Well, that's what discipleship, our 2-7 training, is all about. And for you, if you're ready to have that training, you know that I have got to do this, I've got to live up to something bigger, then maybe what you need to do is say, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to sign up for this. It's 11 weeks. I'm going to commit to it. I'm going to learn some of the tools to how to help people grow in faith. And I guess what's really cool is that you're also going to grow in your faith. Pretty awesome. So those are your commitments this week. Maybe you have something else that, you, that I didn't mention. Um, you can write that in there because I want to pray for you. As a pastor, I like to support you. Or maybe you just have a prayer request. Please write that down. If you have another commitment, let me know about that. And, uh, and then as we pass the baskets, please uh, take those connection cards, put them in the baskets as the connection, car, or put the connection cards in the baskets as they're passed, and along with your tithes and offerings. And uh, let's see what God does with us as we grow in Him. All right, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your presence in our life, for Your power, for Your goodness. Thank You for saving us from death to life, but then not just abandoning us. For helping us grow in faith and faithfulness. For giving us the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God, I pray that you would purify us from the inside out. Change us, Father. Help us to become the people that you've always declared us to be, that you've designed us to be. Lord, in that, Father, I pray that you would give us boldness to be your evangelists here in Estes Park. Send us on their mission field. Let us be purposeful as we go and as we live Father, let us represent you right and well. Give us words, opportunities, courage to forgive and to love and to teach and to walk in righteousness in a whole new way because of our relationship with Christ. I pray, Lord, that when people see the members of this church, this congregation in our community, that they would have an, 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 an opportunity, Lord, to see Christ at work. Father, I pray also for the other churches in Estes too. Help them grow in faith and faithfulness as well. Build ministry. Father, may your light shine here bright in Estes Park. But for us today, we've each made commitments to help us to keep those, not out of some legalistic rule-keeping kind of thing, but Father, out of an act of obedience and faith. Father, as as an appeal to you for a clean conscience, as, as a way of turning our lives over to you so that we can represent you better, so your word can come alive more in us and that your will will be done more in our life daily. God, build your kingdom in us so we can build your kingdom with you here in Estes. So, Father, we pray for our commitments. We also pray for our, our, uh, our offerings and our tithes. Lord, just as much as our actions, we pray also for, for these funds that we bring back to you, that you would invest them in your kingdom. Build it strong. Build it real. Father, build it enduring here in Estes, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.